How are we doing today? Everybody awake? That won't last long. Well, hopefully it'll last, it'll last a little bit longer that you'll be awake. So, want to start? Let's let's uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of being together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is so rich, so full, so powerful. We pray that it would indeed be living and active in our hearts and in our lives today as we consider your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't sensed the theme yet through the worship songs or what's on the cover of your bulletin, it's from this passage of Scripture, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Of course, that includes sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we see the phrase there, trials of various kinds, huh? various trials. Right? Well, I can look around this auditorium this morning and I can see trials of various kinds. As I look at your faces and I know many of your stories, I bear many of those with you as we're encouraged to do with one another, to bear one another's burdens. The elders bear those with you in prayer. And when I see your faces, knowing so much about most of you, I can't help but think about the various trials that many of you are facing. I see one of you and remember that this person has tremendous trouble sleeping. I see another and I know that this person is in constant pain. I see another and I know that this person is in constant grief over the spiritual condition of a family member. I see still another, and I know that this one has a miserable job and is just barely making ends meet with that miserable job. Yet another one's dealing with a tremendous loss. So, you know, when we think of the phrase various trials or trials of various kinds, it can mean any and all of these kinds of things and much more because trials of various kinds, you know what it means in the Greek? Exactly what it says. Trials of various kinds. It's not restricted to persecution for our faith. Sometimes we see that and we make that connection and sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. In this case, it isn't, though it would certainly include that too. Yet here's James writing to us and encouraging us to consider it all joy. All these things, all these kinds of things, he says, count them as joy. Consider them. Think of them, he writes. And I say, really? Really? All this list of trials, and we just barely scratched the surface. Really? Now, let's be quick to note that we have to be careful how we define joy here. I've always hated, you probably heard this analogy too from preachers or teachers that they sometimes make when they compare how a football or basketball fan reacts at a sporting event to how we behave in worship. I've heard this said. Maybe we should get some of you up here on Sunday morning with Go God printed on your chest. Huh? Painted chess, I like that idea. If my team scores a big basket or an important touchdown, I might in a moment of joyful expression at this development, I might jump up and down and shout. But I've heard some say, gee, you get more excited at a football or a basketball game than you do on Sunday mornings when you're worshiping God. To which I say garbage. Garbage. We're not comparing apples to apples here. 
you really want me to draw a parallel between my worship of the king of kings and my reaction to a basketball game? I'm sorry, it's just not the same. There's certainly nothing wrong with getting excited in worship, just like there's certainly nothing wrong with getting excited at a sporting event. But my inclination is that there is a sense of holiness, there's a sense of sobriety, even in joyful worship that's not present at a basketball game, or at least it shouldn't be unless my love of sports has somehow turned to idolatry. It's just different. Worship of a transcendent God alone or together with other believers transcends worldly excitement and joy. It's different. It's not the same. So it's okay for us to behave differently in worship. And because I might not be as outwardly exuberant when we sing on Sunday mornings as I am when my Golden Eagles win a big ball game, doesn't mean that my joy in the Lord in worship is somehow inadequate. So joy... The idea here is that joy doesn't automatically require us to jump up and down and shout whoopee. It doesn't require that. But am I really counting it all joy? That's what I really want to look at this morning. I had a spiritual experience in my recent vacation in Colorado. And though anybody who knows me, you know, hears these things. I was talking to Andrew and Ethan about the time I spent in Colorado a couple weeks ago. Time in the mountains feeds my spirit in a very profound way. I keep hoping that the elders will encourage me to go there more often so I can bring back good Sunday sermons. Guys, I'm up for that if you want to. Now, it's not unusual for me, it's really not unusual for anyone to have a spiritual experience in the mountains because the mountains can really be a very spiritual place. The beauty, the majesty, the bigness of the mountains versus our smallness. In fact, the mountains can draw people to all kinds of spiritual weirdness too, a worshiping of creation rather than worship of the creator. And you go to Colorado or Utah or Montana and you see evidence of that in some of the weird shops and some of the we you know, some weird stuff. But nevertheless, a lot of people have ex a spiritual experience in the mountain that's not always the Holy Spirit directed spiritual experience that a believer in Christ might have. A believer in Christ is drawn by the beauty of creation to worship the creator of that beauty. It can be very worshipful. So when I'm in the mountains, that's what happens to me. It's a deeply spiritual experience. Now it happens many mornings when I take a long walk for exercise. You know, when I'm home, I go to the club. There's no club there, so I have to walk. And I do that. I walk about an hour each morning, right about sunrise. I walk at a pretty good pace, about four miles per hour, at least when I'm on flatter ground. I slow down significantly when I hit some of those hills at those higher elevations uh, because the air is a lot thinner. But that makes a good exercise too, doesn't it? So while walking in the mountains on the next to last morning that we were there uh, about a month ago, I was praying, as is my habit. I was about 30 minutes into my walk when I hit the most challenging part of my walk. Now, I went back and clocked this a little later, and it takes about 10 to 12 minutes of my hour-long walk, but it was the steepest part of the walk that I did while I was on vacation this year. I charted the elevation gain. It's over 300 feet. It's from about 10,700 starting on the valley floor to over 11,000 feet. 
So in parts of this stretch, it's a pretty steep grade, maybe even as much as a 20% grade, maybe 10 to 15 for most of it. So for a flatlander like me, that was definitely the hardest part of the walk. It might be even difficult at Tulsa's elevation. It's especially challenging in the thinner mountain air. So I was praying through my list, and it just so happened that I got to the Feathers family. I pray for the Feathers family often, and I thought of Misty. Misty's not here this morning. But she knows I'm going to say this. I ask permission. I don't ever, well, usually, <laughs> I don't ever mention somebody's name, even in a good way in a sermon, without asking them first. But I thought of Misty. I thought of the challenges she faces in life, the kidney stones that she has quite often, the Morgellons disease, the ongoing parenting of six soon-to-be seven children. And I walked up this steep part of the mountain road, and I would occasionally glance at the view between the pines, which rose high on both sides of the road. And this is, I, I actually had this thought, and I backed up, and I got my cell phone out and shot this video to give you an idea what I was thinking at that point. So my legs ached. It was a very steep hike. My lungs were screaming. I was breathing hard. It was a trial of sorts, okay? Yet all around me was this incredible beauty of God's creation. And the sun was just about to crest the horizon. It hadn't quite hit the mountaintop yet, but the mountaintops were kind of glowing in anticipation of the sun's first rays. So though my inclination was to look down at the road, put one foot in front of the other, and just get this part, this trial, if you will, over with, the inspiration of the beauty of creation also kind of spurred me on. Yes, I found joy. I found joy in the midst of these moments of physical hardship, this trial. What, how did I do that? I did it by looking around. I did it by looking around and not just focusing on the footsteps, the aching legs and the burning lungs. And since I was already starting to pray for the feathers, I thought of Misty. And this is what Misty does every day of her life, okay? She puts one foot in front of the other to get to the top of the challenge. Whether it's the end of this latest bout with kidney stones, whether it's her allergies, or a Wesley temper tantrum. And you know what? What she does is a good thing because perseverance is a Christian character trait that we all want to develop. And the Lord is building that into many of you in the midst of your trials. I could have thought of many of you and used you as the sermon illustration, but it just so happened I was praying for and thinking of Misty when this one came along. But I could point out dozens of you, literally, who do the same thing. The Lord is building perseverance into many of us in the midst of our trials as he's building that into Misty. But what I prayed for as I prayed for her is that as she does this, okay, as she perseveres, that she would be enabled by God's grace to also look up and look around and be enabled by God's Holy Spirit to see the beauty of his creation, his blessings in her life. I know she does that, and I know many of you do that too, but my prayer is that all of us, and I pray the same thing for myself on a fairly regular basis, would be able to do this more and more to count it all joy. In Misty's case, to see the wonderful and devoted husband she has, the six beautiful children that God has given her, God's goodness in so many ways. But then I think of the overarching theme of his redemptive love, which caused God to send his son to the cross to pay for our sin so that we can have eternity with him. So as I continued to walk 
and pray and think about this. The other thing I saw is that the challenge is worth it. When I walk the mountains at sunrise during my Colorado vacations, I do it primarily for exercise. Now, the joy of witnessing God's amazing creation while I exercise is a super bonus extra. It's the best way you can exercise. And walking an hour each morning at a good pace, it's not a stroll. Getting my heart rate up, working my legs on these grades, steep grades of uh, hills at high elevations, a workout. It's good for my health. It builds me up. It helps me get in better shape. And, of course, this, too, has a spiritual application, doesn't it? The challenges of life help us grow. This is very clear in Scripture. More Scriptures than I could read to you this morning. Though we don't always understand God's purposes in some of the things we face, I believe the Word is clear that at least one purpose in most of these trials is sanctification. That's our growth in Christ. Just as this kind of challenging exercise can help build me up physically, The other kinds of challenges in life will, if we let them, build us up spiritually and make me a more fruitful and faithful and effective servant of the King of Kings, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as with most of the messages I believe the Lord gives me to bring to you, I have to ask this of myself as much as I believe the Lord wants me to ask it of you this morning to consider. How many of us can honestly say, that when we encounter in our daily lives, we encounter trials or challenges or pain or suffering, that we count it all joy. I can't honestly say that I do that. I can't honestly say that I even do that very often. And if so, if we do count it all joy, why? Why do we count it all joy? Why can we, why should we count it all joy? Now, this is not a complete list, but I believe it's a good start, and it's where we're going to... rest a little bit this morning. We can and should count it all joy because, first of all, of what it produces in us. Actually, that's the primary reason that James gives in this passage that we're looking at. We can and should count it all joy because of what we have blessed with, been blessed with now, in the here and now. That's the looking up and looking around. And yes, I'm trudging up this hill, but I see all this beauty. Look what's around me now. So that's another reason we can count it all joy. And then really the overarching primary reason because of what we have to look forward to in Christ. And that's true any and all the time. Now I want you to notice that all three of these things are gifts from God. All three of them are gifts from Him. His work in us, it's a gift from Him. His blessings for us, the things that we can look around and see today, and His redemption for eternal life. So I don't know about you folks, But I want more joy in my life. I want more joy in my life. I look at our culture decaying around us. I look at the things that my brothers and sisters here in Christ are suffering. I look at my own challenges in life. And my first thought, honestly, isn't the joy of the Lord. But I want it to be. I want it to be. At least, at least because of these three reasons that I just cited. And again, I don't want joy just so I can jump up and down and shout whoopee in the midst of my trials. In fact, really, if you, if, at least for me when I think about it, it's really kind of the opposite of jumping up and down and shouting whoopee. Have you ever shed tears of joy? I'll bet most of us have at some point or another. I have often. I can think of things 
uh, moments in my life when I shed tears of joy, like August 22nd, 1978, the day more than 41 years ago when I married my wonderful wife, the day almost 32 years ago when my first child was born, and then just a few years later when number two was born, the day the Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart, and I knew at that moment that I belonged to God. And the many other times I consider the blessings of God in my life, I don't just break down and cry, but sometimes tears of joy come to my eyes as I think about God's goodness to me, none of which I have earned or deserved in any way. They're gifts from God. I want that deep, abiding joy in the Lord to be more consistent in my life. The joy that Scripture says is my strength. I want that joy to be my strength. The joy that's born of that peace that passes understanding. Joy, as much as it can be outwardly expressed in demonstrative physical ways, is just as real when it's a deep, settled joy that is mentally and emotionally clear in my mind about God's love for me, that helps me understand my union with Christ, about the good things that I do have today, now, here and now, in my life, and about what God is working in me to make me more like Jesus. God is working in me, folks. God is working in you, all of you who are in Christ. That's a reason we can count it all joy. Even in, especially in, trials. God is working in me. We know this because the Word tells us that trials produce something. Let's look again at our passage of Scripture for this morning. Let me read it again to you. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials according to James, are for the testing of our faith. And that testing produces, it brings about in our lives something. In this case, steadfastness, or some versions will say perseverance or endurance. This testing of your faith is a lot like the testing or proving of gold. Gold is heated to the point of liquid to burn off all the impurities. And if gold could feel, and we don't want to anthropomorphize gold too much, but if gold could feel, I think that burning would hurt. It's a trial. Testing here is the same word used to describe what happens in testing gold for and eliminating the impurities so that it's pure and approved gold. We read in Malachi, He, God, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Silver is much like gold. It's purified in a similar way. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That's what God does in us, folks. That's what he did for the sons of Levi. That's what he does for us. Now, many other places in the Word confirm this truth. The Apostle Paul expands on the things that trials produce in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let me read that to you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, there we see that again, produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul tells us not only what James does, that suffering or trials produces endurance, another aspect of perseverance, but that they also produce other things. They produce character. They produce hope. The production of Christian character, the bringing about of hope, is a significant part of what God works in the believer in Christ when we are being sanctified. It's making us more Christ-like. Also, Paul echoes James, or maybe it's the other way around. Paul encourages us to rejoice in our sufferings. That's another way of saying count it all joy, rejoice in our sufferings. James says to count it all joy when we encounter trials. Same basic idea here. I love how some things are expressed in kind of an old English way, but I want you to pay attention to a quote I'm going to read here from Matthew Henry because it's not in our everyday modern English, but it's really rich, so pay attention closely here. One Christian grace to be exercised is joy. Count it all joy, as we read in verse 2. But we must not sink into a sad and disconsolate frame of mind, which would make us faint under our trials. But we must endeavor to keep our spirits dilated. That's open. We want to keep our spirits open and enlarged, the better to take in a true sense of our case, and with greater advantage to set ourselves to make the best of it. Philosophy may instruct men to be calm under their troubles, but Christianity teaches them to be joyful because such exercises proceed from love and not fury in God. In them, we are conformable to Christ, our head, and they become marks of our adoption. Marks of our adoption. That's how we know that we're adopted. We see in other passages of Scripture where we see about discipline as the Lord proves he loves us by disciplining us, right? Jim spoke last week about being transformed by the renewing of our minds through meditation on the Word of God. And we see such admonitions in Scripture to count it all joy. May God use these truths, even that we're hearing here this morning, to conform us, to transform us, to shape and mold us more and more each day into His image. We capture a picture of God's character and His purposes when we read in passages like this one from James, as well as Paul's admonishment to rejoice in Romans. In a couple months, we're just, uh, it's hard to believe, folks. Here we are near the end of September. In a couple months, we'll be the end of uh, November, and we'll be near Thanksgiving. We'll be celebrating Thanksgiving. And around that holiday, we'll no doubt sing the song, Count Your Blessings. It's a great song to sing around Thanksgiving. So in anticipation of singing that song at Thanksgiving, I want you to consider carefully what we've already looked at and think about these lyrics and how they apply to today's message, Count It All Joy. Jerry, can we have the... Do we have it muted on the computer? Okay, we'll at least read the lyrics. Let me back it up here. Or not. 
Don't you love technology? It's wonderful when it works, and it's embarrassing or worse when it doesn't. Okay, just click, click to the next slide. And then give me back control of it. There we go. It's moving. Okay. Okay. Count your blessings, folks. Count your blessings like when the technology doesn't work like it's supposed to. I'm counting it all joy even as I stand here before you. <laughs> it's kind of another way of saying what James says. Count it all joy. An attitude of gratitude is one of the greatest things we can develop in the midst of trials. I want to do this more, and I want to do it better than I'm doing it now. I have so much. I have a long and wonderful marriage to an amazing woman. I have a comfortable house. I have air conditioning when it's too hot. Thank God for that. I wouldn't live in Oklahoma if it weren't for that. I have a harder time counting it all joy. I have heat when it's too cold. I have plenty to eat. I have clothes to wear. I have things to just entertain me. That's not something I need, but I have it. I have a comfortable bed to sleep in at night. I have a great biological family who love me, and I have good relationships with them, my brothers, my brother and my sister, my aunts, uncles, etc. I have two daughters who love me and have brought me a lot of joy. I have the best job in the world. I don't care what you guys think of your job. I have the best job in the world. I have the privilege of walking with you, my church family, through the best days of your lives and through the worst days of your lives. I have the privilege of studying and reading the Word of God and bringing it to you. I have the joy of my very deep relationships with so many of you, and I'm so grateful for that. I have the joy of relationships with your kids. Over 26 years now, of being Coach Bill in Bible Bowl. One of the greatest joys in my life. I love your kids. I love the relationship that I have with so many of them. Even after they outgrow Bible Bowl, I have a rich and full life. So yes, I have trials. Yes, I have pain. I do have suffering in my life. There are days when I just have to kind of slog through looking down at the path before me just to get through the hardship. But then I can look up and I can look around and I can not just focus on that road before me and slogging uphill, my challenges, but I can see the wonder and the beauty of what God has given me in the here and now. And that, my brothers and sisters, is another reason I can count it all joy. But I find it must be intentional about these personal reminders because we can all get blinders on. We can all just focus on those things in our lives that are hard. And isn't that true? We're in the middle of it and that's all we can see. We're like a horse, race, race horse with blinders on. And then those challenges become joy thieves. They steal, they rob our joy from us. But James says, count it all joy. Paul says, rejoice in your suffering. So when we're tempted to think, rejoice in what? Really? Come on. I want to remember these things. I want to remember what these trials produce. I want to remember all the good things that I already have 
in my life. All of us can point to the good things God has given us, even those of us who maybe have less of those kinds of things. And last, but certainly not least, and of course this is the overarching, we see that we can count it all joy because of what God has done for us. Not just what he's done in our lives in the here and now, and that's one reason we can indeed count it all joy, but what we have to look forward to in Christ because of what God has accomplished in human history for our redemption. You know what? Even if we had nothing in this life, and as we've noted, we do have much more than nothing to be thankful for even now, but even if we had nothing, we can always count it all joy because of what awaits us in eternity. This is about having an eternal perspective on everything, an eternal perspective on even the good things God has provided for us now because even many of those good things that are clearly from his hand, many of these kinds of things that I've just mentioned, they're gifts of God, but they won't outlast this earthly existence. But in Christ, we have eternal life. When we are believers in him, we have a future and we have a hope, regardless of our current circumstances. We can even look to James for affirmation of this. Just a few verses after the passage we spent most of the morning looking at, we read in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So after we've counted it all joy, because of what God uses trials to produce in us, and after we've enjoyed, we've developed that perseverance, that endurance, that steadfastness that God has worked in us, James tells us that we will receive the crown of life. It's a promise of God for those who love him. And Paul, in a verse we read earlier, which actually precedes his admonition to rejoice in our sufferings. So before he said rejoice in our sufferings, we're going to read this again. We read this earlier. Therefore, beginning with verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We've been justified, my brothers and sisters, we've been justified through faith. By trusting in Jesus, perfect sacrifice for us on the cross for our sin, we are declared just. By trusting in Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we also have peace with God. Before that, we were doomed to eternity apart from God. We were doomed to hell. We were enemies of God, Scripture tells us. But now, in Christ, we have peace with God. An amazing thing. We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in His grace. We live in His grace. And because of that, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can count it all joy because of what we have to look forward to. Being in the very presence of the glory of God. This hope, my brothers and sisters, is sure and it is certain. It's not wishful thinking. So suffering is not abnormal. In fact, it's normal. It would be abnormal for a Christian not to have trials because Paul taught all the churches according to Acts chapter 14, 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So yes, in this world you will have tribulation. When's the last time you heard a TV preacher tell you that? 
You won't hear that, but that's a promise of Jesus. We read in chapter uh, 16 of John, verse 33, these things, these are the words of Jesus, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So we can take courage in our tribulation, our trials, whatever suffering we experience, because Jesus has overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world, we can have confidence that our trials, as James says, our suffering, as Paul says, have a purpose and a meaning in God's grand scheme of things. In that knowledge, we can rejoice. In that knowledge, we can count it all joy. So rather than me saying, thanks God for the pain, give me more to bring more endurance, I can pray something more like this. God, thank you that through this ordeal, this trial, whatever this situation is, through this, you can and will build in me perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. And you can and will build in me character. And that these things will bring hope. And this hope will not disappoint me in any way because I know from my own experience your love for me. And I know from your word, your character, and your love for all of us. And that because of your omnipotence, because of your omniscience, because he's all-powerful and all-knowing, in your love for me, you'll know and you'll do what's best for me. And ultimately, we need to remember that all these trials will someday, in eternity, be but a distant memory. My mind will no longer be veiled by sin. And I'll see, I'll understand, because my mind will be clear for the first time of sin. I'll see in a new and a fresh way in eternity how God blessed me, how God used these things to make me more Christ-like and will only glorify him because of his redemptive love for me, an amazing love that has made it possible for me to spend all of eternity with the King of kings and with the Lord of lords. So I want to pray together this morning that the Lord would give us the grace because this is, again, one of those things you can't just work up. You can't just work it up. We need God's grace to get there. But I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray for me that God would give us the grace to count it all joy, to rejoice in our sufferings. I want more joy. Do you want more joy? I want more joy in my life. And I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings and count it all joy because of what it produces in me. I'm going to do that because of all the good things that I have in the here and now. And I'm also going to do it primarily, mostly because of what we have in Christ for all eternity as we glorify him. So let's all stand together and let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, thank you for these tremendous admonitions in Scripture to count it all joy and to rejoice in our trials and in our suffering. But we do recognize, Father, that we are absolutely, completely unable to do this on our own. We know, Father, that we can't just grit our teeth and work up the willpower to count it all joy. But it's a gift of your grace. So, Father, help us to look around us and see what you produce in our lives through these things. Help us to look around us and see the wonderful blessings that we have we all have so many tremendous things to be thankful for. Help us to develop more of an attitude of gratitude. And Father, help us 
to develop an eternal perspective that we could look forward to eternity with you knowing that all these trials, all this suffering will be a thing of the past and we will be able to glorify you because of what you accomplished through these things. We trust you to do these things, Father. We commit ourselves, we commit our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.